morning we have uh, the privilege of having a guest speaker with us today. Our guest speaker today is uh, one of my, my best friends in ministry. His name is Jamie Duke. Jamie is the pastor of LifePoint Church down in Santa Fe. They uh, planted a church, and so Jamie has been um, helping Rita and I navigate some, some issues but uh, with, with church planting. But not only that, three things that I love about Jamie, because ever since I've been in Los Alamos, he's been one of the, the people that I, I met first. Uh, one, you never know what's going to come out of Jamie's mouth, so that's why you got to pay attention and listen. I'll give you one of my favorites. We were at camp, and we were trying to go over dress code for camp, and, and uh, specifically swim swimwear. All right, and, and so well, there's no bikinis allowed at, at camp, and so the, the quote that Jamie said was, the rule is you either wear one piece or nothing at all. <laughs> and then we kind of, oh. yeah, so that has stuck with Jamie. You never know what he's going to say. There's a whole list that we can just put a whole sermon series on, on, the, on those things. Um, two, we talk a lot about investing and inviting here. That's our outreach strategy. How, how are we going to reach Los Alamos? You invest in their lives and then you invite at the right time. This man has in, invested in Rita and I and just loved on us despite all our faults, despite our, all our failures, has just invested and loved us. And much of the reason why we are here today, why you are here today, is because of his investment in our lives. And the third thing that I, I think is so important is God speaks through Jamie Duke. He has an anointing in his life, where, where he speaks, he might ask a probing question, and it speaks directly to your soul. And we also talk about taking next steps here. And so many next steps in my life have been through conversations through Jamie and God using that man to speak to us. So today, I have the honor of, of having one of our, well, it's our first guest speaker, but one of my best friends coming and sharing with us. So would you guys do me a huge favor, give Jamie Duke a huge, warm welcome. had three good things to say about me and and uh, that there are three good things to say about me and sometimes I'll even ask my own children you know one good thing that's just what I want one good thing um, but no there's many good things I could say about Mike and Rita I could take all day uh, and do that and, um, they've been our partners in ministry for well over a decade and into another decade and they they have been um, investors and what, what I love what I, my heart beats for discipling people individually and as a group but what I love the most is to see when the light comes on in someone's life and they get it and they understand it's what God wants from me this is where he wants me to go with my life this is what he wants to do and Melissa and I, and possibly Rita, knew Mike was going to be a pastor long before Mike was a pastor. And you know, we kind of drop hints every once in a while. And he's like, oh, no, not over my dead body. I'm like, oh, let's see. But he, he did. He, he sensed that call. And whenever he explained it to us, we're like, of course, we knew that going along. And, um, and Rita has, has been my partner in ministry for many years. And I miss having her. Uh, on, on my right hand side 
uh, down in Santa Fe because there's a lot of ideas and things that, that need to come to fruition. If you, some of you know a lot about me and know that organization is not my strong suit. I'm big on vision. I'm big on encouragement. I'm big on teaching. I'm really low on organization. And so uh, Rita would come alongside and say, okay, well, let's put feet to this idea. And from the age of 18, she, she knew what to do with that. And so there were awesome years of ministry, and I've taken up two minutes of my time talking about this. Well, today, um, I'm going to do three things with you. I'm going to show you an ancient passage from the book of Joshua that is timeless and applicable to every step of faith. And I'm going to share with you three stories from different stages of my own walk with faith. My own walk as an adult and incredible steps that he called us to take into the great unknown, as the great song says, and, and long before Hillsong ever said it, the Bible said it. Steps into the great unknown. And then thirdly, I'm going to challenge you to take a step forward in your own walk with Christ. The first story I want to share with you is really the great unknown. My, my wife had been, my wife and I had been married about a year, and we knew that we were just biding time for her to finish her <coughs> degree. I had finished my degree in 1995, and got my degree in in psychology, and if you know anything about a degree in psychology, it's essentially a ticket to grad school. You really, there isn't a whole lot that you can, I was actually doing what I could do. I was working in mental health at the very lowest spot on the totem pole. I was working with severely di disabled, men, mentally, mentally ill clients, um, and we as I, as I look at that particular experience in my life, it did mold and shape me in, in a lot of ways in that one year that I was a part of that. But I knew that that wasn't going to be the thing that I did for the rest of my life. Because God had planted a seed in my heart and in Melissa's heart that we would go to seminary together. And that I would get a Master of Divinity. Don't ask me why it's called Divinity. There's... Nothing to do with candy, and you don't come out any more divine than you were when you went in. But that's what I was told preachers should do. But before we went there, there were some steps that we had to make. And some moments of surrender. On the way up here, I, uh, I was listening to a very um, important worship band called U2. And they have a very important song called uh, The Moment of Surrender. And, and as I was driving, I was like, how appropriate. Because that is what we're talking about today. Our moments of surrender. If you're going to take a moment and step out in faith, you are going to have to surrender. At that time, I did not... Uh, we, we, I had a stable job. It didn't pay super well. We thought it did. But it really didn't. Uh, my wife had just finished her degree in education. She could get a real job. And we were supposed to go to Fort Worth and go to seminary. And so about a month prior, I let my job know that I wasn't going to be 
staying much past a month. They gave a month's notice, and I let our landlord know we had about a month before we were going to be moving to Fort Worth. The only problem was we didn't have a place to live, and we didn't have any means of income. The plan was for Melissa to teach school while I went to school. And so we began praying, and that really was one of our first steps of faith, telling people without really even knowing. And we were young, we were foolish. If I were to look back on it, as I look back on it now, that is the last thing I'd recommend for my own children, is just quit your job and put your month's notice in for your apartment, and just trust that God is going to provide. We waited two weeks, and God still had not provided and within, yes, uh, within that time, within 24 hours of each other, I realized that we had both a job and a place to live. Melissa got a call from a principal at Tarver Rendon Elementary School who said, um, essentially, on a spot phone interview, we want to hire you. And so she said yes, <laughs> and we had a job. Well, we didn't have a place to live, and so we were looking at all kinds of different places that were going to cost us double what we were spending currently in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and we were just struggling trying to figure out where are we going to live, and I, and I, I called the seminary and I said, where are we on the waiting list? We just need to know, and she's like, okay, just a second, can I put you on hold? And then um, she came back on and said, well... We had just sent out a letter of acceptance. You, you'll be staying on campus. You have a place to live. And rent was half of what it was going to cost for us to be somewhere else. Now, that was our very first big step of faith, of saying, yes, God, we will go, and we will burn the boats and not go back regardless of what the consequences were going to be. But that wasn't where it all ended. We're going to take a look into the third chapter of the book of Joshua. I really like this particular passage of Scripture. It gives us a very clear description of what happened, who it happened to, and what God expected His people to do. And from that, we can get a very clear picture of how the principles that Joshua received from God directly apply to any other historical context. And that means that everything that the Israelites and Joshua understood and applied many thousands of years ago have a direct application to you and to me today. And this lesson was all about faith. Now, up on your screen, you have a passage from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. It uh, talks about faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. See, these words were written thousands of years after the events of this book in, of Joshua. But there were lessons of faith that the, writers of he the writer of Hebrews learned because of the love and the grace that, that they saw God pour out in the life 
of the people in the book of Joshua, the, the Israelites at that time. Joshua chapter 1, and perhaps you covered this, but I want to readdress it. Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, it says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. The people here understood the when Joshua was talking about Moses, they understood that because God was faithful through Moses and he was speaking through Joshua in much the same way. He goes on to say, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses and my servant has commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand. Stay focused. That's not in there, but I added it. Stay focused that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will, you will make your way prosperous. Have I not commanded you? And this is what is up on your screen. Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened and do not, do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, there's a lot of unknowns whenever you follow Christ. Just because we took a step of faith Whenever we ended up going and preparing for ministry in a place called Fort Worth, we went through some of the most difficult times of our marriage. I had a nervous breakdown. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what it meant. But I knew I was in trouble. And I was a pastor. Or I was preparing to be a pastor. But I talked to another pastor who said, Jamie, you can get through this, but you're going to need some help along the way. And so we walked through a very dark time together. And I remember asking God, God, why? If I'm preparing to do ministry in your name, why, is, why am I having to deal with this? Why am I having to deal with this anxiety? Why am I having to deal with this overwhelming despair? It's not fair. <laughs> but it was through that time I continued to walk and continued to walk and continue to cling to promises that he gave me. And while I don't completely understand everything that I went through and everything my wife had to go through, not a month goes by that I don't talk to somebody about their own struggle with things like depression and anxiety. And they're afraid to talk to somebody about it. And I'm able to tell my story. So, taking a step of faith was scary, and it was risky, it was dangerous, it was tumultuous, but God, friends, was faithful. Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, Joshua was getting ready to send the people, the children of Israel, into the promised land. They were told by God that they were supposed to cross the river Jordan. 
The River Jordan is not like the Rio Grande. It act, the River Jordan actually had a little water. And so, you know, with the Rio Grande, it's like, okay, well, we're going to cross the river. And, and pretty much everybody, even in, in monsoon season, can eventually make it across. There may be a little treacherousness, but this was a big river. They didn't know how they were going to get all of their people and the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God, across this particular river. In verse 14, it says, So when the people set out their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. So they're carrying this Ark of the Covenant. you got the priests. And really, that was kind of the, the preacher's job at the time, was to carry the Ark. I'm kind of glad we moved past that. But having been a, uh, a church planter and having had to set up for church, sometimes you feel like you're carrying, you, you bring that ark in that trailer and you start hauling it in and you start setting it up just like they, the children of Israel did. You know, they set up the tents, they put the ark there and so that people could experience the presence of God. So there are a lot of correlations in there. But they're carrying this ark. It's big. It's heavy. And as soon as those bearing the, uh, bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its bank throughout the time of harvest. In other words, it was running deep. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. At Adam, the, the city beside Zerathon, and those flowing toward the Sea of Arabath, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite of Jericho, and now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The people of Israel were made a promise by God many, many years ago through Moses that they had a land flowing with milk and honey. Now this is imagery we don't use today. We, but this idea that there was this abundance that was available to them. These people who had wandered in darkness for so long, scraping for everything they possibly could, were about to enter into a place where everything was available to them. They had a hard time believing it. They had a hard time visualizing it. Because after all, they'd wandered around in the wilderness for a very long time. And before that, they were captives in a foreign place and treated harshly in harsh labor. Was God really going to come through? So they had this land waiting for them, but they had to get there first. And they had to take a step into uncertainty. We saw in the previous chapter, chapter 2, that they had thoroughly scouted this area. You found that out through uh, Rahab the prostitute. You know, they, the spies were checking this place out. And while they said, and this place, this is doable. 
we can do this. There was still danger and uncertainty. I told you I had three stories. The second story is a call to a city on a hill. There was uh, a time when I had to uh, put away the books of seminary. I'd done my three years. My wife told me that I had three years. And you're done. I'm done. I'm, we're going to start a family. And you get three years. I will teach school. And that is it. Well, for the most part, I did. I finished everything. There was a couple of lingering things that I finished up while we were here in Los Alamos. But in 1999, we began throwing out resumes to different places. And, and at the time, we actually thought we were going to Hobbs, New Mexico. We thought that, uh, we, we never thought we'd end up there, but the church was looking for a youth pastor. And we thought, well, we'll go check it out. And they called us there and they treated us like kings. And they showed us, man, they made us think that we were the only people for them. They showed us to their youth. They showed us their youth room, which was the envy of all Hobbs, New Mexico. <laughs> and they had a little cookout and showed us. But before that, they took us and they showed us around. There's a realtor in church and showed us around. And showed us different houses that we could purchase. We could have purchased a house before. You know, it's not like a pair of shoes. I mean, this is kind of big. So... We started looking at it, and we're like, man, this is a lot of money to buy a house. To pay a mortgage, it's going to be double what we pay in rent. We don't, how can we do this? And so we talked to the realtor. He's like, well, I'm going to talk to, talk to uh, um, the search committee and such. And, and, and so we asked them, you know, can you give us a general idea of what our salary might be? Can we afford to live in the metropolis of Hobbs, New Mexico? Well, we left that place thinking, this is it. This is where we're going. The people love us here. They want us to come back. Didn't hear from them. Didn't hear from them. Didn't hear from them. In the meantime, got a phone call from Rindle Carver. Some of you guys know Rindle. Um, Rindle hasn't changed a whole lot since 1999. Uh, a little less hair, a little grayer. But whenever he met me, I had hair, and it wasn't gray. So... We, we both changed quite a bit. I got a phone call saying, hey, we would like to, we're interested in interviewing you. Have you come out for an interview? And um, I, I believe I, I told you, Rendell, but I, I, I may not have. But I, I said, I'm talking to another church, but I haven't really heard back from them. I got I to gotta hear, I got to know whether or not this door is closed. Because after all, it's the promised land. It's Hobbs, New Mexico. You know? And so I... I called up, finally called up the search committee member who was like, Jamie, I'm, I'm really sorry. And something had really just blown up, literally. Some church controversy, I know it shocks you. Some church controversy had blown up in the church, literally, the week after we went there. And he was like, we just can't bring somebody into this. And we're hoping maybe you'll wait. It's <laughs> like, well... My wife tells me I'm done, you know, so I got to, I got to find me a job. So I, you know, either Rendell calls back or I call him and, and, and we go, we agree to go out. Well, you got to understand whenever we first came to Los Alamos, um, it was a very different place. Um, it was pre 9 11. You know, we actually drove through the lab right by the plutonium facility and all that kind of stuff. We had, we were, 
we were special. And that was when things were a little more open. But the church at the time was going through a rough patch. And it was very clear that something was going on and some changes were making. Things were shifting. But Rendell told me that the committee's determined that if you feel called, we would like for you to come. We know it's not the most ideal situation, but we, we feel like this is who, where God wants, you know, you're the person God wants for, for First Baptist Full Sunrise. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And the, the, the crazy thing about it, and I have to back up a little bit, one of the most heart-burning things was whenever we were taken out by a realtor in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Huh. Because you think that we had sticker shopping, shopping hogs? Yeah. Even in the year 1999 in Los Alamos, New Mexico, you could get yourself a nice 30-year-old fixer-upper in White Rock for $200,000. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what are we doing? What are we thinking? But God didn't let us go. God didn't let us go. God didn't let us go. And so finally we said, God, if this is where you have us, we will go. And we took the step of faith. And Tony Montoya and all his crew met to unload our U-Haul there on uh, Woodland Drive. And we were here for 13 years. And we saw a lot of things change. A lot of things were hard, a lot of things were good. But it was it was where God wanted us to be. But one thing that we learned was that the waters weren't going to part until our feet got wet. Until we said yes. In the, in the weeks after that, we were offered a place to live, a place to rent that was going to be considerably less than what some other places were going to be. And things began to fall into place. But it was not until we said yes. And things kind of went awry those first year, first year or two. I, I always tell people whenever we moved to Los Alamos, and within the first year we had a baby, the town nearly burned down, and the pastor left. All those three things happened within nine months, literally. And, well, within a year. It was within a year. All those things happened. But thank goodness, I was young and I was dumb and I didn't know any better. And I stuck with it. And relationships were made. We saw a lot of different people come and go from our life that we were able to invest in. And they invested in us. But it's because we put our feet in the water and we began to walk. And then the waters began to part. Then it became clearer. Why does God call us into the unknown? There's some things that I want to share with you today because I, I've asked myself that because my entire adult life has been about walking into the unknown with Christ. Why does God call us into the unknown? Does he like to see us squirm? Is he some kind of spiritual sadist? You know, does he, does he just like to see people struggle? Well, the first reason I think he calls us into the unknown is because 
Our faith and progress in advancing the gospel is made no other way. Progress in our faith and progress in advancing the gospel is made no other way than walking into the unknown. Joshua 3, 15 through 16 says, As soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks through the time of har- throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. The waters parted. Every one of them crossed over, but it wasn't until the priests took those first steps. They could have said, okay, we got the ark over here, God. Part the waters so we know it's your will. You ever done that? Kind of bartered with God? If everything falls into place, the thing I found, though, folks, throughout my adult life, God doesn't work that way. He doesn't make deals with us. He calls us to follow. And we either say yes, or we say no. But if he says yes, we know that he's good for it. That's the next point. He is good for it. He calls us into the unknown because he is good for it. He said in John in Joshua chapter 9, I mean Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He calls us not only because That is what progresses our faith. We don't grow in faith in any other way than to walk into the unknown. If we walk into the known, that is not faith. If you walk into what is safe, that is not faith. The unknown is faith. And our faith progresses whenever we walk in obedience with Him. And we know that He is good because He shows Himself to be faithful. Last story. Call this the call to the city difference. Or as some of you like to call it, Nineveh. You'll get it. Think about it for a minute. Many years ago, I, uh, I sensed a call to plant a church. I didn't know when I was supposed to plant that church, but it became more and more apparent that it was going to be Santa Fe, New Mexico. And there were people who were friends of ours that we would celebrate things like Christmas or New Year's, and every year we would talk about our hopes and dreams for the coming years, and we would always share. I think one day we're going to be planting a church, and... As we got closer and closer to that, we said, it's going to be in Santa Fe. And it's almost as if those people just kind of like, they're like, "Ah, yeah, yeah. And they just kind of let it just fly over their heads. Well, it became very clear about 2013 that it was time to prepare for this. You are going to plant a church, and now is the time to move. So we began talking to all our friends and all of our neighbors, and perhaps some of you are in here, and and. Just the look of shock on people's faces when we said, we're, we're going to leave Los Alamos 
we're going to leave First Baptist and we're going to go plant a church from scratch in Nineveh, in Santa Fe. And we literally had good friends of ours argue with us about, that just doesn't seem like a smart move, Jamie. You've got everything you could ever want here. You've got a good salary. You've got a home. Your kids have friends. You, uh, everything is provided for you. Why would you leave this? Well, because God calls you. God calls you into the unknown. It's not always safe. It's not always pretty. It's not, sometimes it doesn't even really turn out how you imagined, it, and it rarely does, turn out the way that you imagined that it would. But we had a call to go. And guys, I will tell you, in the last five years, it has been a struggle. But I've also seen my family grow spiritually in ways that I never imagined. I've seen God turn people's lives around who are addicts. I've seen people surrender to Christ that I never thought they would. Is it a mass movement? No. no. If you know anything about Santa Fe, nothing is ever a mass movement. Manana, we'll, we'll have a mass movement tomorrow. You know, today we're just going to hang out and drink some beer, and we're just going to hang. And and I make fun of it, but really that's the attitude. And so we continue, continually cast out this vision of urgency to know Christ. Well, how do you take this next step into God's will? To quickly close. It all involves surrender. It always involves surrender. I think my people are sick of seeing that word up on the screen. I use it so often, but I have to, because that is what we are called to do. We are called to surrender everything. We are called to surrender to Christ as Savior and King. We are called to surrender to know his word and commit ourselves to it. We saw that in Joshua chapter 8. I am chapter 1 verse 8 where he says, Don't let that word of the law depart from your mouth. Know it. Understand it. Surrender to engage your community of faith. Be a part of your, your local church. Challenge one another. We're stronger together than we are alone. But surrender to ask him to reveal himself to you. God, what do you want from me? Because even Jesus says in Matthew 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What is he calling you to step forward in? Because I guarantee you, he is. And it's probably uncomfortable. Some of you know exactly what he's calling you forward to. And until you surrender and say yes, you will live in tension with your Creator. I encourage you to stay God, I thank you for the time we have.